these words again from 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, going through verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May we begin our worship study of these words today by first reminding ourselves again that as our Heavenly Father, God will do everything that it takes to preserve and protect the salvation that He has wrought within our souls. Those words again that we shared from Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are precious promises of protection. I want to add to this that the Lord is saying here that nothing, no one and no created being of which you and I are created beings can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There are strong doctrinal differences with those words. There are those within the biggest denominations in the country that would believe that none of these that are mentioned here could separate us from the love of Christ. But we ourselves can separate ourselves. That is not scriptural. Let me read you the scripture again nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are a created thing. We cannot separate ourselves from the Lord Jesus. These are precious promises of protection, and God wants us to hear them, to have ears to hear, and to know them, and to trust them. Now here in our worship text of First Peter 1. I've used the New American Standard Version translation because I particularly like the word translated there in verse 5 as protected. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now the English Standard Version translates this word protected as guarded. Guarded. The New International Version translates it as shielded. And then the New King James Version translates it as kept. All of those versions give the proper understanding of the meaning of this word. But I personally like protected the best 
because it gives me a greater sense of assurance and confidence that nothing in existence can ever fully take away the salvation that God has given to me. My eternal life, your eternal life, and the eternal life of every other person who gives their whole heart to Christ is absolutely guaranteed by God Himself. Now may I offer an analogy from a natural world circumstance. Considering these words of guaranteed protection, I'm reminded of the measure of confidence that we place in many of the natural things of our daily life. And in particular, I think of the words that describe the confidence that we have in our American monetary system. Being an old banker, I'm very familiar with the words that guarantee these American dollars and everything that our government does. And those words are that they are backed by the full faith and credit of our U.S. government. We have no concern. You and I have no concern or doubt at all that the money in our pocket or the money in our bank account is fully trustworthy or that it will not remain that way. And yes, we do grimace when we think about how our U.S. Treasury will just print more and more dollars. And we complain about that. But the reality is, when we go to bed at night, we're not really worried about our money being worth the same tomorrow that it is today. And even further, we count the treasury bonds, our government issued bonds, as being the most trustworthy investment that's available to us for our retirement plans and for such as that. Those bonds are said to be backed, again, by the full faith and credit of our U.S. government. And they are. And when we do take a moment to complain and worry about them, we seem to quickly, though, also add, but treasury bonds are still the safest investment in the market. And that's true. And it reminded me of a similar conclusion that Peter voiced about the Lord Jesus on an occasion when Jesus was preaching a sermon that had some real hard sayings within it. Most all of the listeners, those disciples, perhaps even hundreds of people, got up and walked out on them. All that remained was the twelve. When Jesus asked the twelve why they didn't leave also, Peter answering for the twelve, and I'll paraphrase, he said, Although we may not fully understand these things either, Jesus, you are still the best choice we can make. He said, only you have the words of eternal life. So perhaps it can be said of these promises that we read here in these scriptures that they are backed by the full faith and credit of God. And if we can accept and trust in that kind of assurance about the safety of our money, why can't we all the more accept and trust that same assurance about God and about His promises to us? Folks, God really is the best choice that's available to you and me. He really is. And while many times we're not able to fully understand His ways, we really ought to put 
at least as much faith in Him as we do in our dollar bills. Does not that sound even logical? But note here that God understands this nature that we have within us, especially as it regards the troubles that beset us and and the way that our faith responds to those troubles. Listen to these words again, beginning in verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, verse 5, who, for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is ever and always fully trustworthy in every circumstance. But note here that he has ordained that your and my faith must also play an important role in all these encounters of daily life. And as we well know, when our faith becomes part of the equation of the distress of the various trials that are spoken about here, and they begin to weigh upon us, that's when our spiritual knees begin to buckle. Those words again who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. May I share with us a portion of the commentary that Matthew Henry offers regarding these words. He tells us, Preservation by God's power does not supersede man's free will endeavor and his care for our salvation. Here are God's power and man's faith. Man's faith implies an earnest desire of salvation, a reliance upon Christ according to his invitations and promises, a vigilant care to do everything pleasing to God. By the way, this is a real serious Christian we're talking about here a vigilant care to do everything pleasing to God and to avoid whatever is offensive, an abhorrence of temptation, a respect to the recompense of reward and preserving diligence in prayer. And listen, by such a patient, operating, conquering faith, we are kept by the assistance of divine grace unto salvation. Faith is a sovereign preservative of the soul through a state of grace unto a state of glory. Now may I say that sometimes these commentaries are as difficult to understand and to work your way through as the original text. But here Matthew Henry is simply saying that our faith is tightly interwoven into the fabric of God's ordained divine will. So tightly interwoven that sometimes, perhaps most of the time, It's difficult to discern the difference between when God's hand is at work and when our own free will is at work. But both, according to these scriptures, are necessary and intricately woven together. And together, they'll carry our salvation on forward into eternity. And listen, 
as these scriptures promise, especially verses 6 and 7, no matter how difficult those trials can come to be, God will not let our faith fully fail. Let me give you a reminder. Jesus was in the upper room with the twelve. And he said to Peter, took him aside and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Now Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'm standing in front of you and Satan will never get near you. He doesn't do that. That's what Matthew Henry was saying. That the Let me read those words for us again. Preservation by God's power does not supersede man's free will endeavor and care for his own salvation. Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, I'm not going to let Satan touch you. What he said instead is, I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Peter had a responsibility and it involved his faith. Now, the reassurance and protection is, if Jesus is interceding for you in prayer, you will not fail. You cannot fail. And that's what these scriptures are telling us here. God will not let our faith fully fail. Listen again, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, considering these interactions of our free will faith and the divine working of God's hand, it brings another analogy to my mind, and it's this. When I hear our health care professionals refer to extending a person's life, perhaps helping them to live a, a year or two more, my mind quickly goes to the Scriptures, such as those like... Hebrews 9.27 that plainly tells us that there is appointed unto man, to woman, to all people, a time to die and then to judgment. And then also in Psalm 139, let me read this, verse 16. Your eyes, Lord, saw my unformed body. All the days, listen, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before any of my days came to be, God ordained when I would be born and when I would die. Both of these scriptures and other scriptures like them say that exact thing. We will not live one moment longer, nor will we die one moment sooner than the days God has ordained for us. So therefore, it is not a question of when we will die and when we will leave this earth. Because God has already ordained that. But rather our part, your and my part, in the equation of life is the quality. The quality with which we will live out our daily life while we remain here. If we treat our bodies in an unhealthy way, we'll suffer through all of those days that remain for us. If we treat it rightly, we will have a much more more joy-filled life. And that is also true in a spiritual sense for this matter that God has presented to us here in this message. Our eternal life, your eternal life, if you have Christ as your Savior, our eternal life has already been determined from the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. Our inheritance is absolutely guaranteed without question according to these words. The only thing that is now in question is the quality 
with which you will live your Christian life. Those experiences that take place every day, what will they be like? What kind of quality will they have? And that's what's being spoken about here. And that will be determined by the faith that we choose to exercise. That's what he's saying here. If by faith we hold fast to the promises of God, and if we fully trust Him for all the matters of our daily life, then our quality of life as a Christian will be filled with great favor and joy. It's as simple as that. Now yes, we surely will experience struggles. And he says that here. But that's the nature of all of our souls. And that's the nature of the permissions that God gives to the world, the flesh and the devil, as they are always tempting us and attacking us. But folks, such things are a given in this fallen world. The desires of our own flesh become erratic. The nature of demons are there to tempt us. But God's making a promise to us here. The response of our faith should be to simply look at who is now on our side, and that is Christ. Greater is He who is within us than he who is in the world. God is stronger, more loving, and more protective than we could ever hope and imagine. And we must continually put our confidence and our trust in Him. Now, I do hope that analogy makes sense to you. It does to me. But I'd like to cover one more thing before we close today. And I want to address this matter of foreordained suffering that God is speaking about here. As we talked about in Sunday school, God reaches His hand in when we don't think it's His hand. We think perhaps it's our own, but He has foreordained some suffering that we have to undergo. Listen to these words again. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now note the words, if necessary. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now often, your and my sufferings are necessary because we've behaved wrongly. We've been sinful in our behavior. And God needs to use suffering, and He does freely use suffering to bring us back to repentance. He is ever and always a loving and responsible Father. Responsible fathers punish their children to bring them back to right behavior. How do we know that? These words in Hebrews 12, verse 6, The Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you. And by the way, the hardship, these are circumstances of life. You don't see God's hand. What you see is the circumstance. And He's saying here, endure those hardships as discipline. God is treating you as a son. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And in verse 11 of Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Praise be to God that He loves us enough 
to discipline us and to bring us back to Him when we go astray. But now, may we also accept that there will be times when we will undergo difficult trials and sufferings even when we have not done anything wrong. That was the case as we were talking earlier with the old servant Job. Job was upright and blameless. But yet God purposefully allowed Satan to work his worst suffering upon Job. Here in these words of 1 Peter, we find that similar inference being given, that suffering may come upon us at times when there's no misbehavior on our part. These words here point instead towards another form of necessary suffering. Suffering that will be for the specific purpose of bringing praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. Those words in verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now here the Lord is telling us that this kind of suffering is sure to become necessary at various times in your and my life. So you need not doubt if it will come. It will come. But it's a special kind of suffering and it's for a, for a purpose. It will be a very painful suffering at times. It will be demanding and it will be worrying upon our faith. And these words here, tested by fire, give this compelling understanding that the, the strain might make us wonder if we can make it through that suffering. But now, later in chapter 3 of this book of First Peter, God speaks to us about those specific times when we'll suffer for doing nothing wrong. In verse 9 of chapter 3, He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't, don't respond to that person wrongly in front of you. You haven't done anything wrong, but do not respond in a like manner with an insult when they insult you, but rather with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, you're not going to inherit a blessing if you simply respond to them in the way that they have mistreated you. You may not have done anything wrong, but you're to respond to them with a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Be careful what you say back to that person who's mistreated you. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should listen, but if even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul wrote the response that you and I should have. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but 
that with all full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the goal, folks. This is the goal of our suffering and of our faith. That we will, with our behavior, bring praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. You and I are bearing witness to who Christ is every moment of every day in every circumstance. We are a testimony to His grace. And we must be ever so careful that our witness and our testimony is always an excellent one. Let me close with these words. Verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.